but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve, I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. The Australian Open is over. I want to first start with a, a disclaimer that we, well, I want y'all to be a little bit patient with James on this episode because he's a little bit, he's, su he's suffering from decrepitude. He's got a bad mm -hmm. back. He's had to deal with the Australian Open. It's been a, it's been a rough week for you, I should say. I don't need a disclaimer. You're, you're, I, I'm allowed to be in a bad mood. You're up to the task. You're ready yeah. for the battle. Well, not really, no. <laughs> uh, so that was a thing that happened. The Australian Open is definitely a thing that happened. Uh-huh. I don't really have anything else, so uh, thank you for listening. You are so funny. It is just what the listeners came here for. I know, I know. I guess you can be the positive one on this episode. I'm going to have to be. I mean, I just want to know going forward... What are these slams going to look like for you? Because for me, yeah, because well, they need to start acting right. They're not gonna not gonna get better. They're not gonna get better for you. <laughs> like your faves are gonna be losing. Well, maybe you're no. not acquiring enough faves to offset and make up for the no. fact that your current faves are losing. The problem is that I'm in, I'm acquiring the wrong faves. Okay, let's, I'm let's put those out there. I'm Where acquiring you? faves who play like a junior against a 15 year old girl. Wow, that is. Well, I thought we dealt with that on the did, last we episode. We did. No, but um, we'll maybe we'll talk later in the episode about what what I'm hoping to see from the 2020 season that I did not see in this Australian Open. Sure, it's a better way to handle it. More mature way to handle it. Well, <laughs> no promises. Let's get it started. Let's get the party started with the men's side. Yeah. So Novak Djokovic. Wins his 8th Australian Open title, record extending. His 17th Grand Slam title it is very crowded at the top of the men's leaderboard. He came back from two sets to one down against Dominic Team in that final. I read a stat that it was the first time that Novak had come back from two sets to one down to win a slam title. Really? Yeah, which is a, a nice feather in his cap. Right. So Novak wins the first set. Then we get this extended period of spotty play. Novak is dizzy, lacking energy, and it's very obvious to people watching. And there was much hand-wringing and uh, a lot of just resignation among Nole fam that it was done, that Dominic was obviously going to win. He took a medical timeout. He got some juice from his, from his box. And like only Novak can do, he managed to regroup gather himself, convince himself that, you know what, I can do this. I'm Novak Djokovic. Why not? Or at least I'll try. And he did it. These big three, and I, I would say that Novak is chief of these, are so dramatic on the tennis court. Well. They're so dramatic. The emotions, the hormones even, mm -hmm. are so plentiful. Now, let's, let's be straight here. We have seen this from Novak before. We have seen him struggle with injury, both real and imagined, in finals. 
We've seen him struggle with accuracy, motivation, energy in Grand Slam finals. He put Andy Murray through it several times. And we talked about there was one Australian Open final against Andy Murray that was particularly annoying just because of the theatrics. Now, I don't presume to know what Novak was feeling, but let's just say that Novak is very good at using the options available to him to unnerve his opponent. That is so fraught. Was that diplomatic? No, that was very shady. No, I mean, he didn't do anything against the rules except slap the umpire's foot. It left a lot to interpretation. Well, that's fine, but you can't say that I said anything untoward or untrue. Skillful shadiness. (laughs) This is not... What is it that you're trying to say here? I'm saying that we have seen these tricks and wiggery and giggery before from Novak. Okay. That's We've seen it before. He's been extremely injured and come back to win and look like a a demigod. And so is that adrenaline? Is that his intense competitive fire, which is not in question? I don't know. But if I'm Dominic team, I'd be a little annoyed. And Dominic is clearly better than me because he's not. Dominic team could also have been better and won the match. Yes, because now we're at a place where he has everything, right? He, He has the game to win a slam. He has the incredible fitness to win a slam. And I think, well, there are two things going on. He's playing big three goats in finals. And he maybe just needs a little bit more edge. Just like a little bit more killer instinct. But like he's there. He's so, so close. For the longest time, the knock on Dominic was that he was a little bit too unbridled. Mm -hmm. That even if he were able to harness it for a moment or two to get through earlier stages... There was no way he could harness it and play that level long enough against the big guys. And now we've seen that that is a hurdle that he's conquered. As to whether he can go forth into the 2020 season and beyond and replicate that on a regular basis, that's yet to be seen. But Dominic Team, he is a cut above. I mean, I've been saying this for a while now. We've had this discussion, mm. who is the one who should win, is in the best position to win outside of the big three, four, what have you. And it's squarely him. He's made the incremental steps and checked off accomplishments to put him in that position. He's lost three slam finals now, the first in three sets, second in four sets, this one in five sets. He's now beating big three folks regularly. He beat Novak to make French Open finals. He beat Rafa to make the final here. He came so close to beating both of them to win the title here. I I don't see how he comes away with anything but self-belief. Right. And this puts in stark relief what someone like Stan Wawrinka accomplished, winning three Grand Slam finals against the best of the best, playing a game that's not totally unlike Dominic's. Mm -hmm. Well... The 2014 Australian Open will forever have an asterisk. I don't care. Okay, fine. Y'all can fight me on that. But It gave him the confidence to be where he is, and good for that. But that one is not like the others. No, no. I will die on that hill, and that death may come by y'all getting me on that hill. (laughs) (laughs) We've covered that before. Amy Lundy at 538 wrote an interesting story about Djokovic's second serve, and it has been much discussed during this fortnight. Through the quarterfinals, it had increased by an average 6 miles per hour. It was all the way up to 104 miles per hour average second serve speed. And people who are smarter than me were observing his serve and 
realizing the second serve is actually more of a slice now rather than a kick. So a kick is, you know, higher bouncing, but more reliable and a bit slower. And he's hitting a second serve more like a first serve, which is riskier, but the double faults weren't coming with the change in serve. So we're in this place where, I mean, some matches were a little bit spotty from Novak, but is it possible that he's getting better? And what is Novak Djokovic getting better in his early 30s mean for tennis? He's ambitious. He says he wants to be the best. Like he wants history to view him as the best player ever. And he's super close. You say he's getting better, but he still has to put all those components together within a match. Mm. And he didn't do that in this match. No. You thought, based on some of his performances leading into the final, that this could be uh, (laughs) a coronation built off of that perfect melange. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh The second serve was great in the final. He out-second served Dominic Team to the tune of winning something like 56 or 57% of his second serves, which is a lot compared to Dominic's 48-49. I mean, we know that just because a match is five sets doesn't mean it's pretty, doesn't mean it's a classic. And when you win 17 Grand Slams, not all the finals are going to be that high quality. No. You know, look at Serena's wins. A lot of those finals, you probably would only rewatch if you were a super fan. Um, I mean, Nadal winning against Kevin Anderson. You're going to rewatch that one? You're probably not. Not going to do that. Right. That's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. The tennis does not have to be pretty. It sure was dramatic, though, in this final. Yes. Novak Djokovic is regaining the number one spot with his title and Nadal losing in the quarterfinals. He now snatches the number one spot back and... Uh, Yeah, that was really more about Nadal not equaling his points from last year when he was the runner-up, because Novak defended his 2,000 points as the winner, which is really a net zero as far as how the rankings work. I see it as a big achievement because... Well, of course it's a big achievement. I'm explaining the math. Okay, yes. But you said it's really just about... Oh, I I didn't mean that. Because for one, Nadal making the quarterfinals again is still a good achievement, and Novak repeating is not nothing, even in Australia. It is not nothing. You are absolutely right. And especially this elbow thing is sort of hovering over a lot of his matches. And he got some treatment in ATP Cup, and clearly it wasn't a huge deal. But it is something that he probably has in the back of his mind. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, heading into this sunshine swing, what the men's tour will look like. It's one of the first times that we actually have potentially some actual intrigue at the top of men's tennis. Novak is there, not looking impregnable. Federer, if he's able to recover from that injury situation, the back stiffening up, he's clearly still there. Not playing his best, but still making a semifinal of a Grand Slam. Mm. Nadal... Unlike last year, to my mind, and from what I saw from last year's final, Nadal played great to the final, and he looked like he came out of that tournament not in the best physical health. Right. That is not the case this time. Somehow, after playing through to the end of the season last year, after playing Davis Cup, playing the Australian Open, he seems to be in good health. ATP Cup. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And this might be the first time in a while that he enters a sunshine swing in optimal physical mental health first time in a long long time yeah and we know that he is formidable on hard courts 
Yes. He's won Indian Wells several times. Mm -hmm. Never in Miami. Anyway. And then now we have Dominic Team who will be defending at Indian Wells, who is boosted, presumably, from this uh, performance. It can only function as some gummy berry juice. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, is that what Novak got from his camp in the final? It wasn't gummy berry juice? No, there are enough, like, insinuations out there who want to say, oh, you you know, he got this strange substance from his box. Like, everybody calm down. That was, Nobody, not, that was not in a clear right? container. I love that part. Like, as if, as if illicit substances cannot be clear, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, does everybody calm down? And no player would be that brazen. Well, I don't think so. I mean, like, the issue there is, will it show up on a test or not? That has nothing to do with this. You know? I know, right? Like, there's no way for you to know. It just is, uh, and he played with it, which I don't think is necessarily the best thing. Played with what? I guess he was asked about it, and he said it oh. was like some magic potion that his oh, right. camp concocted in their lab. Well, like, wow. I don't I don't think you really joke about that stuff if you're in any way worried about failing a test. Exactly, you know, like you... yeah. It's more, it's more to poke the media because they're well yeah because the insinuation is is bold mm-hmm. disclaimer i believe that if you think one of the big three is cheating and doping you should believe all of them are cheating <laughs> they're all equally they're likely. all equally guilty so no not like guilty equally likely yes likely <laughs> to be guilty <laughs> right um but going back to the atp in the next few months stan Borinka beating Daniel Medvedev, puts himself back in the mix. Alexander mm-hmm. Zverev, who... it It's hard to describe the type of turnaround that he got from this tournament because of the doldrums where he was after ATP Cup. His serve was a mess. It was he so was, bleak. It was he was bleak. screaming at his daddy. He made his daddy at, cry. Right? It was bleak. And now, uh, we talked about on the last episode, he got rhythm on his serve. He got all the way to the semifinals. Played a good match against Dominic Team, and uh, this was his first Grand Slam semifinal, right? Yes. Like, this was not expected, based on his performance earlier this month. And also a little bit of a screw you to the journalists who complained about his exhibition tour with Roger Federer. This was a shot in the dark for Zverev. It's not like this was a grandmaster plan that he concocted to get where right. he was. You right, know? right. This was a bit unforeseen for him as well. He that had... said, he put in the work. He decided that he was going to combat the serve issues by taking some speed off the first serve, getting a higher percentage, with the hope that after a few rounds, he will have developed a good rhythm on the serve. And it worked. Right. He joked after, I think, his quarterfinal win that it was a little bit difficult because the serve wasn't working, the forehand wasn't working, the backhand wasn't working, the volleying wasn't working, the footwork wasn't <laughs> working. <laughs> like, he literally listed Every facet of the game, mm. of, and it wasn't working for him. And that he was able to navigate his way through that without losing sets until the semifinal is a credit to him and yeah. his talent. He announced early in the tournament that he was going to donate $10,000 per match win. And if he won the tournament, he would donate his entire prize money. So he ended up donating $50,000. So many players donated a bunch of money. We're not going to do a roll call of that because it's kind of tacky, I think. Right. Just know that the tennis community rallied around Australia at this tournament. And a lot of the fundraising efforts were player-driven. 
like Tennis mm-hmm. Australia yeah. was pushed by Nick Kyrgios to do the rally for relief, all that stuff. Nick is up to, I think, $90,000 in his contributions. That is one of the more positive things to come out of this Australian Open. The way the players rallied to make something happen. Right. Speaking of Nick, played Rafa Nadal in, what, the fourth round? Correct. And it was an identical scoreline to their Wimbledon match. There, I feel like there's a lot of patronizing recaps of Nick's performance at this tournament. As if it's like a coming of age and he behaved like an adult and he approached tennis professionally. I mean, he approached the match in Wimbledon in the same way. Like, he came in with a game plan and just didn't happen to work. Also, don't underestimate the fact that he's on probation or whatever it is. Right. If he has, if he's out of pocket one more time, he gets a ban. That's not nothing. Right. That match, not only was the score identical to the Wimbledon result last year, it felt identical watching it mm. as well. It felt like Nick was playing close to his peak but it still wasn't quite enough. And by peak, I mean his current skill set without the help of a coach, great physical training. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, he could possibly win that match should all facets of what we expect an elite tennis player to have fall into place. Right. Which then begs the question, going forward, will he take those steps to be able to win a match like that? Because it didn't really seem that there was that much more that he could do. He had a couple key questionable decisions that he made. He was 5-all in the third set tiebreak, I want to say. 5-all in the tiebreak at a crucial moment, and he goes for a 135-mile-an-hour second serve. That is not ideal. Mm. That is not a good choice. No, you're not Medvedev. And that double fault, while it gave Nadal set point... He wasn't able to immediately capitalize on it, but he ended up winning that set. Mm-hmm. Man, there were a whole boatload of dramatic double faults in this tournament. Lord, now that you mentioned it. Wait till we get to this woman's final. <laughs> Dominic double faulted to uh, lose the first set of the final. Yep. There was also, I feel, a scarcity of excellent, memorable matches during this tournament. That's just my my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I struggle to to identify some matches that I'll think about going forward. And I guess you could say that Rafa and Dominic was one of them. Yes, it would be one of the few truly memorable matches. Rafa seemed to be not in a great mood, was pretty testy that day. And the most, really the most angry you'll see him get at an umpire was at Orly Tort over a time violation. The big three had their issues with the umpires in this tournament. There was a lot of talking to, to the manager. Nadal was absolutely... Talking to the manager in that situation does not mean that he's not without some merit in his thinking, but the way he went about it, like this snarky, offhanded, brattishness, Mm. not into it. I don't want to see that. And so you will see, you know, to be fair, you will see a lot of, I don't know if manipulation is a word, but uh, like exploitation of the rules by Rafa regarding time, right? And he gets pissed at Carlos Bernardes at plenty of umpires for the same thing he likes to take his time that being said it's really not that bad especially since this time clock has come into play nadal is complying like 97 percent of the time yes but within the rules he wants to control the pace of a match which really uh every player probably does yes he's just happens to be 
famous and powerful. <laughs> and he's bossy. Right? It fits into oh, his yeah. Yeah. dynamic of being bossy. Like Nadal is bossy, Feder is a little bit... What's the word here? <laughs> um, I was told by Apple Care. No. Condescending? Yes. That's it. That's the, the bingo. word. That's the word. Whereas Novak is a little bit... Also, what's the word? Condescending. <laughs> a little bit different. I'm talking about there are three brands here. Oh. Nadal being bossy. Federer being condescending. And Djokovic being... I guess he would. he's a bit more aggressive. A little bit more aggro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a shortening of the word aggressive. Sounds less bad. Oh, okay, I'm like just that. saying. It's true. He has never won the sportsmanship award for a reason. Is there a reason why those who have won it have won it that many times? <gasps> Popularity. Okay. Um, Rolex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're sitting there listening, thinking, wow, there's a lot that they're not saying that they want to say. And you'd be correct in thinking that? Because, like, what's the point? Whatever we could say, y'all know. Y'all no, have I... heard it. Y'all have thunk it. We're not here to to let loose and aggravate all fan bases no. here. Because we got stuff to say about Rafa too, even though we are Rafa fans. Right? I feel that I've been honest. I'm, this is not a dig at you. <laughs> okay. This is a collective we. Mm. Oh, oh, okay. Collective we. I'm not better than you in this regard. The word that I want to use for Djokovic is... Well, it's two words. Agro-angst. Yes. That's what I would go with. Because it's not coming necessarily from a place of ill intent. There's just a lot of like... Angst, yeah, that is actually a very good word for it. Because he can be like that during a match, and then when the match is over, it's like flipped. It's a total 180. And he can deliver a speech like that. You know, Mm -hmm. calling for basically world peace and unity and keeping your family close yeah. and stuff like and i don't he's think... a uh, i mean like everyone he, he's a multifaceted kind of person but within matches that angst comes out when he yeah. taps the umpire on the foot with the within the extremes of fandom it plays as either you're going hard for novak or he's a devil right right and, and that you can... this aggro angst is fake like that is actually representative of who he is Rather than the stuff that comes afterward. And I don't think it's that stark of well, a contrast. Yeah. Because, you know, people do that with Serena, with Roger. With... However, if you want that to form the full picture of Novak for you, then you can do it. Yeah. You know, you can watch his match and say, wow, he's such an asshole because of this, this, and this. But it's not the entirety of a person. You need to believe certain things to get through it. That's fine. Get through it. Just don't be like... Yeah, just don't share it with us. Don't be hurting other people, you know, and don't be dragging us into it. Don't don't drag us down with you. Yeah. Let's fight the real enemy, Fabio Fognini. There are many people to fight, but we should get back to this umpire thing. Yeah, yeah. Because Nadal and Orly tort Djokovic and the umpire, the gentleman in the final... Apologies to that man, I do not know your name, and I was negligent in looking it up. I came straight from work and into the recording booth. And, and Roger Federer and Mariana Veljovic, who yes. is now worldwide famous. It is amazing. I, I think I have a play-by-play of that coming mm. up. Famous because, well, obviously famous because she is beautiful, but the tennis Twitterati will remind you she's famous now because she does her job extremely well. Mm-hmm. She just happens to be a person who is good at her job. She's got everything. She's got it all. <laughs> She's got the ability to wrangle Federer 
in a moment of angst for himself and let him know that he should not try it Mm -hmm. because she is not the one. She's the one in many regards, but in this instance, not the one. (laughs) She has this bemused smile that she uses for all men when they're angry. It like <laughs> she's done it to Diego Schwartzman in a very funny, funny moment. She's done it to Roger Federer now. She just sort of gazed at him and smiled. No teeth, just a, a big grin. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. Go on. Nadal and Tort. What happened? He was called for a time violation warning after a long, very physical 19-shot rally. He was mad because it's up to the umpire's discretion when they call the score, and therefore when the clock starts. And he said, you know, after this kind of physical point, you have the discretion to start the clock later. And what he said, you don't love the good tennis, obviously. Which was unnecessary, totally unnecessary. First of Churlish. all, it's not her job to like tennis. No, it's her, it's job, literally to not her job to be impartial and interpret the rules and apply them. Yeah. So this is a problem with the rules, clearly. The fact that the umpire has very, very broad discretion about when to read the time or read the score. An example. Right. Yeah. So I, I didn't like his behavior toward her. She is right. But he also has a point. The rule is flawed. Yes. And the application of the rule is inconsistent. That moment happened after a 19-shot rally that was easily one of the top two, three best rallies of that match against Dominic Team. And where Rafa is coming from, you have this long, long-busting rally. You hold off maybe five more seconds before you call the score. Mm. That's within your ability as an umpire you can make the argument that they don't have to well of course and you would be right they don't have to wait they could they could call the score immediately but we cannot sit here and pretend that tennis is a strict rules are the rules sport because it's not right and the argument that rafa could have made more eloquently and i guess more difficult to make in that match at that time in your second or third language all he had to say was i really disagree with your use of the time violation warning here for the record i would like to state that that was a very intense point and you have the discretion to hold off for maybe five more seconds to give not just myself but dominic and the fans and and the fans the tennis lovers around the world a moment to digest that so that we can get back to the vicinity of our best for the next mm. point. How about that, Miss Tort? <laughs> but that's not that's not how it comes across when he does it, right? No. It's like Mr. Bossy Pants walking to the net, pointing, just da, da, da. you don't like the tennis. Mm. I told you. Novak was also upset by a time violation in the final, and on the change of ends, tapped the umpire on his foot and then proceeded to sort of bitch to him during the changeover. Telling him that, oh, congrats, now you're famous. Yes, that's a common refrain from players that umpires want to see themselves in lights, you know? (laughs) That they're trying to make themselves famous when they... The umpires are already on TV. They do not want this type of attention. If that umpire wanted to be famous, he would have called Novak for a code violation for touching him. And clearly, we understand that there 
it, that was not physical abuse. Like the umpire was not hurt by that. It was a very gentle tap on his foot. But you do not need, indeed you should not, put your hands on any official. But if you are one of those rules are the rules, Bob, people, well, then this was not it because that was punishable by $20,000 fine as well as a point penalty. Mm-hmm. Rules are rules, right? It's also very simple. We take we talk about this all the time. You have zero need ever to touch an umpire. There no. is literally no reason other than shaking their hand at the end of the match for you to touch an oh, umpire. Right. Also, I have seen quite a bit of uh, impugning the credibility and authority of umpires in my lifetime since that whole incident where we were lectured about that's why, you know, a game penalty was inflicted on a certain person. Mm. Yeah, I've seen it quite a bit. If you're sitting at home inclined to be thinking, well, what if Serena had tapped on Carlos Ramos's feet? Well, don't, because you know what would happen, so. But you'd be right to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's a losing exercise at this point because we maintain that these things happen all the time, whereby rules are not enforced, some empires are more lax with others than other people, and depending on the way they feel that day, maybe, or the way a situation feels to them in that moment, there are a lot of variables. Rules are never just the rules. So, once and for all, miss us with that. Now the Roger Federer stuff. This was delicious. It was so good. Oh, you mean Tennis Angren having seven whole match points against Roger Federer and losing every single one? The whole match was... <laughs> A snack, a meal, a four-course feast. Save for Roger's pain, sorry to him that he had to go through that. Mm -hmm. But what he did in that match was worthy of an induction into the Body Serve Hall of Fame. He came so close <laughs> to being inducted into the Body Serve Hall of Shame. And he just flipped that switch. I know. But, like one of the goats that he is. But, I mean, we could not realistically induct him in the Hall of Shame. It was something that we would have had to have given serious consideration yes. to. There are a lot of intangibles that go into that decision, though. But for the nature of what he did, he is an inductee into the Body Serve Hall of Fame, joining Miss Rubarikova, as well as as well as somebody else that regrettably we don't quite remember right now. Wow, quite the Hall of Fame. So perhaps we can't even remember who was in it. So perhaps the longtime listeners can let us know. Who Federer joins in this esteemed category. Actually, I kind of feel bad about Rybarkova now that Colleen has suffered such a long career, like... Um, Interruption? Yeah. That, I mean, that was totally unrelated to what had happened then. Okay, fine. So fine. Federer beats Sangren, comes back from two sets to one down. He looks like he's completely gone in this match. The, the body won't hold up. And that we're going to have tennis Sangren miraculously, again, deeper into an Australian Open. <laughs> he would have been a semifinalist. While Federer was going through it, though, he got called for a code violation for audible obscenity. He said the F word. Yeah. And so when Ms. Velievich calls him for this, he walks to the chair and she goes, I didn't quite hear it, but the lines person did. The lines judge did. So he marches back to the back of the court and he kind of like leans forward, steps to the... Lines judge, not really in her face, but kind of in her face, calmly interrogates her, mm -hmm. gets the response, and then marches back to Velievich. At which point, 
She unhooks her mic, unscrews it, swivels it out of the way so that we don't catch what's going on, and leans forward in anticipation. And Federer, watching this happen, says something, and then she says something, and then it's over. (laughs) And it was such a boss experience to watch. Yeah, there's no reason to to approach a lines person and talk to them like that. It was reported that he said, I didn't say I would kill you. Are you serious? <laughs> and then the lines judge was like, listen, bitch. Like, I'm here to call lines and call it as I see it. And I said what I said. Yeah. If you got something to say, take it up with Miss Belovich if you so choose. If you, if you so are dare. that reckless with your life. Afterward, he said, I guess that lines person understands Swiss German or whatever. I didn't know that fuck was a Swiss German word. Did you? <laughs> it, it was pronounced like fuck. <laughs> he speaks so many languages. He just forgets. Just got a little bit mangled there. All right. Shall we move on to the women? Yes. Where can we? What? what? what where? Where to start? How? What? What? <laughs> Sonia Kennan becomes the 10th woman since the start of Serena Williams' maternity leave to win a Grand Slam. Say what now? 10 out of the 12 majors contested since the Australian Open 2017 have gone to a different person. Mm-hmm. And while some will say that that is amazing parity and a banner moment for women's tennis, you are here to say... Stop. Don't... No, we were talking about this in the car last night. And I have to say, I feel that... I, I feel a bit hamstrung by the philosophy of our show sometimes Mm. like we we've been very very vocal supporters of women's tennis and tried to hit back at critics as much as possible wherever possible and there is a point where my personal feelings start to kind of conflict with that i'm glad you segued from we to my Mm -hmm. because this i'm not saying that you have a problem with it well you said it's a a tenant of our show. We have been trying to do this. But now you are here to speak for yourself. And and from my perspective, you know, we're going to get into Kenan and the great things that she did at this tournament. But overall, I like to see a sport with some more players dominating at the top. A, a key rivalry, perhaps. Or a player who's winning multiple slams over the past few years. We've seen Halep and Osaka repeat. They were the only repeat winners over the past three years. Before that, Serena pretty much dominated the decade. But this is a very, very long transition period for women's tennis. It's because it, it's going on and on, right? That presumes that it will ever happen again. Right. And so, of course, we've heard people say we need a dominant champion in women's tennis. And a lot of those people are detractors, like they're operating in bad faith. I think that I'm coming from a place of, I love this sport, and for me, this isn't my ideal state. But you're in a position now where you're a Serena fan, she's not winning, you've allowed Naomi Osaka onto your mm-hmm. train, and she put in a horrendous performance at yeah. this tournament, so where does that leave you? Well, it, it doesn't have to be Serena, obviously. She's 38 years old, it has to be someone else. That's what I'm saying, and it wasn't mm-hmm. Naomi. Your, your problem is, and a lot of... The problem for the folks who share the same opinion as you do is it's not your fave who's winning. Well, but who's winning? They're winning one, and that's it. So if somebody were to come here and start winning six, 
if it's somebody you don't like now and they're on to major number five or six, you'd be then on board with them because it, they are winning? No, I, I can't promise that I would be a fan, but I could say that that's more of the tour that I think would generate interest and attention from more casual fans and would be the kind of tour that I would rather watch, honestly. Hmm. See, I call bullshit on that because, yeah, I just call bullshit on that. <laughs> well, you can't, you're free to do that, but I'm telling you how I feel. I just feel like you need to expand your... You mean like if Sonia Kennan wins the calendar year Grand Slam? Yes. The uh, Golden Slam? Yeah. That's not going to make me a fan of her. But it is certainly something that generates discussion and marketing interest in women's tennis. Mm-hmm. Women's, like the WTA would probably prefer that someone like Naomi or Coco or Simona Halep does it. But... I think that that's all just talking out of people's asses when they say that because historically we're talking about me i'm the one unfortunately you're wrapped up in it right now but (laughs) we've seen that the history of women's sport and the way that it's disadvantaged in terms of marketing and all these ideas that people come up to try and fix this problem that is absolutely there that people don't watch women's sport the way that they watch men's sport it has to do with structural issues from a youth level right up to the professional level it has nothing to do with one person capturing the imagination over multiple slam wins serena by and large wasn't able to do that for a large swath of her of her career like there <laughs> what it's going to take is for fathers to be girl dads if we're to use that from the happenings of the last week for people to tune in to to women's college athletics to watch women's cricket like it it goes across the board like we need to change our ethos with the way that we value sport like when we start to value women's athletic contributions more then we will see the wta thrive better that that doesn't that doesn't mean that the wta as an institution isn't at fault and hasn't made bad decisions in terms of marketing the sport but to say that it's just that we need we need this one person to come and like do all that. I, I don't buy into that anymore. No, I don't think you're you're characterizing what I said 100% accurately. How much percent? Maybe 62. I'll take it. <laughs> Myself and the people who listen to the show are largely fans of women's tennis and we are operating in good faith. You know, we're not we're not trying to denigrate the sport. We want to see it thrive and I'm also not prescribing the ways in which the WTA will be successful. I don't know what makes women's sports successful. No, I'm saying, you, I'm, no, just... I'm telling you honestly the type of tennis that I want to see. Yeah, but then you then said, I think that this will be good for women's Fine. tennis, and Fine. I don't necessarily agree with that. Right. I don't see that that is more beneficial than having a plethora of talented women who can show up at any moment and snatch a slap. Yes, but... The flip side of that is you have a lot of extremely talented players flop. Okay. That uh, we don't need to get into it, but like I I personally would just like to see some of these top players assert themselves more consistently. And actually Simona Halep is someone who's doing that. Yeah. Who just reached her eighth semifinal, who is a two-time slam winner, who very well could have been an Australian Open champion. Her ceiling is very very high now because she won surprisingly on grass. Anyway, let's not dwell on that. I think it would be patronizing to celebrate every single 
achievement of women's tennis only because it's women's tennis. That that's what I'm saying. Well, it took us a while to get there. <laughs> At the same time, I'm not saying that this isn't an incredible achievement, if that makes sense. I know that's that's a difficult <laughs> two difficult thoughts to hold in the same hand. Let me just say this. You know what? Hmm. Sonia Kennan, she's got spunk. And, and I you hate, hate spunk. spunk. <laughs> I, I told you I had a joke for you on this episode, oh. and that was it. And you got it. I, I'm so pleased oh my God. that you caught it right away. I, th- I hope some of the older listeners of The Body Serve will pick up on that reference. but It's iconic. To be, to be clear, I love Spunk, which ah, is disgusting. Wow. This um, was not where this was no, supposed you didn't, to go. You didn't really think that through very well. I didn't expect you to do all that as... Per usual, you are doing more than is required. The most, even? I don't know what your ceiling is at this point mm-hmm. for doing the most. But so. on that subject, that uh, that ferocity that you see from Sonia Kennan is one of the things that I most like about her. Her fire, I mean intensity, is really the word. Mm-hmm. Jerry Nathan described it as ambient rage, which I felt was perfect because... She has rage coming out of her, irrespective of the moment. Like, she could have won a point, and you still feel this anger seeping out. The way that she stomps around behind the baseline, in between points, even if she's dominating a match, right? It's so interesting. Her horizontal stomp from side to side, in between points, along the baseline, is one of my favorite things in tennis right now. (laughs) Because... The thing that I've taken away from watching Sonia Kennan this past two weeks, yes, she has these volatile moments. Some Dev Devarman out here saying, I hope she's able to fix that at some Those point. tantrums. Like, dude, miss all of us with that. <laughs> oh like, my god. Focus on your lane. Stay in your lane. Make sure that you're not swerving in and out. It's not needed. I like that these temporary moments of a fury are in service of her larger goal which is an undying unflinching self-belief and i said to you in that that car ride that i'm referencing again well you referenced it first yesterday that sonia cannon is is emblematic at this point in this tournament of a player who is in the midst of that singular moment where you are fearless in your career and it's such a stark contrast to so many players that we've seen in the last few years perhaps none greater than serena williams where the moment becomes too much garbinia muguruza double faulting all over the place she only i say only but she only had eight double faults in that match but twice they came back to back and twice they were on incredibly important moments the last and the ultimate one being on match point. And Sonia Kennan is not, she's not deterred by these momentary lapses, by these huge errors where she may hit a swinging volley in the bottom of the net. She then stomps to the next, <laughs> to the next point and gets on with it, knowing that she's got somewhere to be and she's going to get there. Eventually, once you've won enough, once you've experienced life enough, I think there's a, 
a symbiotic relationship between the two. It's not just winning on court, it's losing off court. And the mm. relationship between the two puts into perspective what's at play. And I don't know how long players are able to hold on to this purple patch of fearlessness, but Sonia Kennan is in the midst of it right now. Right. And it's able to boost maybe some flaws in her game, some deficiencies in her game. You may look at Sonia Kennan play tennis and say, how is she winning these matches? She doesn't have the tools to be thwarting a Garbinia Muguruza or a Serena Williams or a Bianca Andreescu or a Naomi Osaka. All these top players that she's beaten, especially on hard courts in the last year. But that that self-belief and a solid game and a sneaky good-to-great game that's still developing can achieve a lot. And it has. Mm-hmm. At her stage in her career, she doesn't have the weight of memory on her. She doesn't have those two years down in the dumps like Muguruza did, who, you know, she felt that the media had largely given up on her, that she was criticized heavily. That they were unfair to her. Like many players, she doesn't have some of the the personal trials as an adult that she didn't have to endure as a professional tennis player, like you said. That will change. You know, players like Andreescu, Osaka, Ostapenko won majors young, and they won in their first Grand Slam final. That we've seen you emerge from those finals a different person. And not everybody uh, approaches it the same way. Kennan may bounce back and win, like, a bunch more majors. I wouldn't be surprised if she won more, because there is, like, this fire and this determination in her, this belief. I don't know where it comes from, but, like, she is super intense. And she's been working on her game. She's a counterpuncher, but she's not. Like, she's not a pusher. She can create angles. She can redirect the ball when she's, you know, when a lot of players would be blown off the court by more powerful players. Like, she has a lot of talent. But what's really striking is that she believes that she should be here. And she's taken the steps to sort of assure that she stays. Two things from this final. One, Muguruza on paper is the big favorite. Despite her sojourn of two years in the wilderness. She's not seated. We know that her her pedigree and her talent is top-notch. Like You watch Garbinia Muguruza play in her pomp, and you get it. I'll, oh never, I'll never forget the first time I saw her in person. It wasn't on a tennis court. It was her bouncing through the Cincinnati grounds with such a regal air that you couldn't help but turn and watch. Mm-hmm. Just this woman walk, because she has that aura about her. And you watch her play tennis at a high level. You watch the lines that she cuts on a tennis court. You watch the technique. You watch, frankly, the all-round beauty and aesthetically pleasing nature of her and her game. And it's, it's enthralling, right? So all that is wrapped up in her two Grand Slams heading into this final. The pedigree of having beaten... Serena Williams and Venus Williams in a Grand Slam final. And she's on the comeback trail. She's got Conchita Martinez in her camp again. She's gotten rid of Sam Sumik. And you think, well, wow, this is this is inevitable. But you've got Sonia Kennan, who's got this unyielding self-belief. And also a resume on hardcourt. Let's not forget 
that as much as she is a newcomer to a lot of folks, she had the results last year. Nobody won more hardcourt matches on the WTA than Sonia Kennan last year. And she beat a lot of top players. She beat the number one player two tournaments in a row. Yeah. The number one ranking switched hands. Mm -hmm. But she beat both of them. Naomi Osaka Osaka and Ash Barty. I watched that match and honestly, after the first set, even though Muguruza won that first set, I thought to myself, Kennan is winning this match. And I'm not here to like bullshit you with that. Like that was my honest opinion. And the reason why I thought that was Muguruza threatened to run away with that first set. She got up the early break. She had triple break point to get up the double break. And Kennan held in that situation. And by the end of that first set, it was frankly Muguruza hanging on to win that first set. And that, that, that's just the way it happened. Muguruza won the first set 6-4, Kennan came back 6-2, and then at 2-all in the third set, Kennan is again faced with Love 40 on her serve. Muguruza has triple break point, and Kennan wins five straight points to put her nose ahead 3-2 and eventually win that third set 6-2. That is incredible. I think overall, this turnaround for Garbina is amazing and more premature than a lot of people thought. Like, tennis Twitter can hang its hat on being right about Sam Sumik and Conchita Martinez. <laughs> People have been telling her to dump Sumik for how many years and say, please hire Conchita, and look what happened. It happened sooner than Conchita or Garbinium yes. imagined as well. And so I think, you know, we are... Maybe she her head didn't catch up with her game. Like, maybe she didn't... It happened too fast for her, too. But she pretty much did it all during this tournament. She comes in with this virus. She gets bageled in her first set of the tournament against Shelby Rogers. She beats Tomljanovic in another three-set match. She beats three top ten players, Svitolina, number nine Burtons, number four Halep, and number 30 Pavlyuchenkova, who is a, what, a three-time quarterfinalist here, had just beaten Pliskova, was going to be a very tough out in that stage. And she just couldn't quite get over the hump. Garbina actually plays very good defense. I know some people, like, they, they try to take that away from her. She she's plays still, very she's good defense. She's still not the quickest person, right. but she plays good defense. However, she's not going to win a major by playing defense against Sonia Kennan. No. Like, getting bullied around the baseline in the third set, she's not going to win a major like that. The other thing that we haven't talked about on this show that was a huge factor in both draws was the slowness of the court. Mm-hmm. You talk about parity versus having somebody dominate. I think that is the biggest factor. I do too. Because... The sport conceptually is dominated by men's tennis, and the powers that be decided that in service of four, five-hour, five-set matches, they would slow down courts to get these bruising 20-30 shot rallies. That then had uh, an effect on the women's game as well, because they weren't considered in that decision-making process. Well, you can't even call it secondary because they weren't actually considered at all. It was because, you know... Because these, they want to get rid of these serve bots on the men's side. And so that that's why I think you have all these different Grand Slam champions on the women's side. And that leads me to my quiz question for you. Mm. It's not a full quiz, but I have one question that has... It's worth, I guess... What? Let me just do a little bit of math here. It's worth... One, two, three, four, five... It's worth 17 points. Out of what? There's only one question. Yeah, 17 out of 17 Mm. is what you get. There are currently, by my math, 17 active Grand Slam champions on the WTA. 
I want you to name me all of them. <laughs> okay. Name. I will give. I will help you out by say, by giving you the number. It's like a sporkle quiz. I'll yeah. give you the number that they've won, and you tell me. Oh no, you don't have to do that. Oh, I don't. No, you I'm may gonna. Need it. I'm gonna try it without it first. Okay. So we have Venus, Serena, Maria. Tell me what they have. Oh, oh my God! How how much time we have here? Do you know tennis or not? Venus seven, Serena twenty three, Kuznetsova one. Incorrect. Oh shit! Two. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah. Um, Halep two. Yes. Kerber three. Yes. Stevens one. Yes. Osaka two. Yes. Uh, does Kim Kleisters count? Yes. Four. Yes. Azarenka two. Correct. Uh, Andreescu one. Correct. Ostapenko one. Yes. Cannon one. Muguruza two. Those are all correct. Did I say Osaka already? You did. Oh, okay. Um, Sharapova, five. Yes. So now you're missing three players. You've gotten mm. 14 of 17 so far. I'm impressed with your first run through. Yeah. Well, There's I one haven't player. Quit yet. Okay. So fine. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, Kvitova, two. Yes. You just asked a question off mic. You should ask that on air right now. <laughs> Who won the French last year? Yeah, think about it. Like, I totally, totally Think blanked. about it. Who won the French last year? It was a big shocker. She's currently very prominent in women's tennis. I'm not going to delete this segment of the episode, so you got to hurry up here before you look like a complete fool. Oh, Barty. Yes. <laughs> she has won. And then there's one more. You're missing one. Mm. Do you want a clue? They Wozniacki won... doesn't count. No, because she's retired. This person's won one slam. I can't, I don't know, I can't think of it. This person is older, this person is struggling to win matches at Grand Slams. Yankovic, she's technically still active, that's a bonus point. She did not win a slam. Oh, you're right. Did not win a slam. Fuck. (laughs) This person is a very accomplished doubles player. Oh, Sam Stozer. Correct. US Open 2009, 2010? 2011? Those years are a blur for me personally. (laughs) In my personal life, so... We talked a lot about players who, quite frankly, shit the bed. One of them was Ash Barty. Oh man, that was not a great match against Kennan. They were both very nervous. If you were to listen to the live commentary from Chris Everett, you would think it was the worst semifinal <laughs> ever played oh my God. in the history of tennis. What a negative Nancy. Chris Everett was so upset. By the level of play in that match. She thought they were both crap. Uh, (laughs) And it wasn't as bad as she described it. It was close. They were both on serve for quite a while in the first set. Barty should have won the first set. She had several chances in the tiebreak. She was up a break in both sets. Lost those chances in the tiebreak. And you got the feeling that uh, there was something missing that day. Like, emotionally, there was just a piece missing. She couldn't get over that hump. And when you're playing, when maybe you're a little bit nervous in front of your home crowd in this situation you've never been in before, Kennan is the last person you want to be playing because she is just brimming with belief. She's not going to let you snatch it. She wasn't playing well either. (laughs) No, but she did play well in some of those key moments. Yeah, well, that is it, right? Mm. When push came to shove, Sonia Cannon, she pushed and she shoved. I fully expected Barty to get to the final here. 
I really did. I thought we were heading toward a Barty Muguruza final. And I'm not I'm not going to rag on her because this was actually her first semifinal outside of Roland Garros. She's only been to two slam semis. Her record against top 10 players in majors has not been great. But I felt that her run was very good up to that point. People have been throwing that around a lot, but she beat a bunch of top 10 players at the year-end championships yes. to win that title. Yes. I think there's no question about her ranking. I know people maybe don't find her that interesting or wonder how she got there. She got there by winning a major, winning the finals, amassing a whole lot of points. Winning Miami. And beating the people she was supposed to beat. I happen to like her game. Not everyone does, which is fine. But I was annoyed that she didn't get to the final, but I was not disappointed because it's not my place to be disappointed. She brought her niece to the press conference who is like three months old, who's a little baby. Uh, you know, and controversy pre- appears around every corner, even when you don't expect it. Preemptively, she was like, listen, this is this is what life's really all about. When folks are, you know, I guess expecting her to be <laughs> distraught, wrecked, yes. wrecked to pieces for having disappointed a nation on her home soil. In the face of all those sporting narratives those tropes, those tired cliches, Ash Barty appeared in press with her niece. Mm. And some people labeled it unprofessional, which I can't believe in 2020 that we're going down that road. I realize she's not the mother of this child, but in this year of our Lord 2020, are we really talking about women bringing babies to the workplace being unprofessional and distracting? Like, why would you even bring that up? See, I can't wait for the behind-the-scenes video of Ash with that baby being shown the behind-the-scenes. <laughs> and in 18 years, she's winning the Australian Open. <laughs> like we did with Sonia Cannon and Kim Oh, Kleisters. God. I, I can't yeah. wait for that. But listen, maybe this was an emotional shield for Ash Barty that has been posited. That's so rude. Like, it's so offensive. If it is, Right. Even if it is, listen. She said, I'm going to bring this baby to the press conference and none of y'all can do shit about it. Mm -hmm. And if you talk crazy to me, you better realize that you're talking crazy to me with a baby in my arms. But listen, even if it is an emotional shield, which is like such a cringe turn of phrase. This is also a woman who left the sport in her teen years because for whatever reason, she had to go find herself, figure things out could not deal with life on tour. It was not what she wanted for herself. And wrapped up in that is is mental health and being able to take care of yourself and knowing what works for you. And so if this worked for Ash Barty and helped maintain her mental and emotional health, hashtag self-care. It's not that deep. Also, if you feel that you cannot ask tough questions in front of a three-month-old infant who does not have the power of speech or discernment, that's on you, boo-boo. (laughs) <laughs> you you ask those questions. What's the baby going to do? <laughs> Come on now. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> so the the semifinals, as I said, Halep reached her eighth slam semi. Barty is the number one player, reaches her first outside of Roland Garros. This is Kennan's first quarterfinal at a major, her first semi, her first final, obviously her first win. And Muguruza is very much back in the fold. Someone that... People predicted back in 2014, 15, that she could be a double-digit slam winner. And, you know, that is still in the cards. 
The, she has something about her. Mm -hmm. If you can beat Simona Halep in straight sets in that situation, why can't you beat Sonia Cannon in the final? Mm -hmm. In a very high-quality match. Yeah. That match was probably the banner, big-name match, high-stakes match of the tournament. While it was only two sets, these two women brought it. And every time Simona stuck her neck ahead, Garbino reeled her back in. And it made for compelling watching. Some other great performances in the second week. Pavlyuchenkova versus Kerber. How, how do you hit 71 winners against someone who plays defense like Kerber? Like, I want to know how that's even possible. This may be tangential, but there were two people who had remarkably bad weeks. A remarkably bad fortnight. Tomasz Muster <laughs> and Sam Sumik. Muster got cut. He got the boot from Dominic Team's camp after like the second round. Yes, like he, mid-tournament. Yeah, and he goes all the way to the final. And it, it becomes clear that Muster is just kind of a piece of shit. That nobody wants to deal with all that mess. Right? Like that that's that's just it. Like you had the Austrian birthright connection and that that's just mm. where it ended. Dominic was very diplomatic about the split. He didn't say much. But Mooster, wow, when given the opportunity, he made all sort of insinuations. About, like, it may look good from the outside, but is the house burning from the inside? And also that these young players today are spoiled, and they want everything their way, and he just can't exist in that that world. Like, it was, a, was not really your choice. No. You were kind of an irrelevant relic there before he brought you back into the fold just saying nobody liked him when he was on tour nobody liked oh, Thomas Muster. but he i mean he was one of the clay greats how many Muster records was rafa pursuing throughout the 2000s you know so there was that and then sam sumik missed me with this business of well he took pavlichenkova to the quarterfinals listen Pavlichenkova has been to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open now three of the last four years. So I don't I don't buy that. Yeah, I she's, am not, she's been taking herself. I'm not on that train. What I saw was a coach whose charge was now free from the shackles of his tyranny and was <laughs> able to return to the greatness that she once promised. Like, this dude has a reputation, okay? In the round of 16, Contivate guts out this 2-hour and 42-minute win over Sviontek. The result, I mean, that was a toss-up to the very, very end. Sviontek was injured. She had her leg all wrapped. She was still diving and rolling around the court, fighting for every ball. Like, this this girl is going to be a problem. And Contivate really reminded people who she is and the the type of ceiling that she has, which is very high. Although, she did lose 6-1, 6-1, was it? To Simona Halep in the quarters? She did. But she could have been tired. Sviantek is a player who missed most of the latter half of last season due to injury, and she reminded us of her prodigious talent. This is not just somebody who is gifted technically, this is somebody who is gifted physically, and like Kennan, you see a lot of I'm going where I need to be. In yeah, her. yeah. Doubles results. Ooh. So 
in women's doubles, we got three of the top four seeds in the semifinal and the number seven seed in the semifinal. The winners were Tamea Babosh and Kristina Mladenovic, the number two seeds, beating number one, Stritseva and Xie. It was last year's Roland Garros champion beating last year's Wimbledon champion. On the men's side, number 11 Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury beat Australians Saville and Purcell. Rajiv Ram has been out here for a long, long time, waiting for his first Grand Slam win. I think I read it was like 58 Grand Slam tournaments before this win. He's 35 years old. He won, what was it, a silver medal and mixed with Venus Williams at the 2016 Olympics. And these guys have made themselves into one of the top doubles team in the world, really. Salisbury's up to number four. At this rate, he'll be able to pick his own doubles partner when it comes to the Olympics. Yes. Jamie Murray starts sending some chocolates. <laughs> in mixed doubles, we have Barbara Krejcikova and Nikola Mektic beating this superstar team of Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jamie Murray. Krejcikova becomes the first woman to repeat in mixed doubles since Jana Novotna in 1989. Jana was a friend and mentor to Krejcikova. Always happy to be reminded of Jana's achievements. Krejcikova also had an extended run across all formats at this tournament because she qualified in singles to make the main draw in singles. She played women's doubles and she wins the title in mixed doubles. Yeah. So it was a, a lucrative week for right. her. And she's a former slam winner with Siniakova. A few other etceteras to wrap up this episode. We want to delve into this Margaret Court thing a little bit. Yeah, in a different way, because I feel we've said everything we could say about opinions and free speech and all that stuff, consequences of speech. There's actually some new news for once. John McEnroe and Martina Navratilova, after their Legends match, staged a protest on court snatched the umpire's mic, and made a statement. Martina and John were carrying this homemade sign that said Ivan Gulagong Arena. Martina had previously written an op-ed this week about how it's time to change the name of Margaret Court Arena and that it pains her to say this. I mean, Billie Jean has been on this for a while. It, uh, it is newsworthy. In this sport, it is exceedingly rare to see political statements on the court. It was an actual protest. It is. On a tennis court. Yes. By tennis players. Mind you, they're retired. Mm -hmm. But this was newsworthy. When I say exceedingly rare, I say it, I mean it never happens. Literally never happens. Tennis is behind a lot of major American sports in, uh, what's the word? Being proactive. Political awareness. Not just being politically aware, but being proactive about it. Mm. And of course, the TV feed cut off. Immediately, because tennis is not really... Uh, whenever something truly newsworthy happens that is outside of the actual playing of the game, TV's not interested. But more specifically, Tennis Australia was not interested in having this broadcast. No. So, obviously, Martina and John were given a talking to by Tennis Australia because they issued an apology the next day. And as much as you may think of Martina and John as indispensable to tennis broadcasts, they still carry credentials that are at the sole discretion of the issuer being Tennis Australia. Yes, this is a good point. Because Legends of the Game, 
people you you see as powerful and influential, they are <laughs> vulnerable to having their credentials stripped away. Imagine how the rest of us feel, right? Because shortly after this incident, this protest, both John McEnroe and Martina Navratilova issue apologies. ESPN cuts away from the tennis to do a little segment about it, led by Chris McKendry. And she reads off both statements. And at the end of John McEnroe's statement, McEnroe ends by saying, in this case, I was not aware of the Tennis Australia rules and protocol for issuing credentials. Protocol was a much rehashed word in this whole saga. Mm-hmm. You think John McEnroe randomly brought up credentials in this apology? I don't. No, no, that was clear. Because he already had a go at Margaret in one of his uh, Commissioner of Tennis segments earlier in the tournament. This was uh, this was unprecedented, though. They actually bought the materials. Martina put together the sign in her hotel room. It was meant to be an homage to Aboriginal art. I don't know if Yvonne Goulagong was consulted in advance. I have a feeling she was not. I didn't get that from any of the reporting. I am interested in what she feels about the whole thing, really. But it does put into relief the the level of sort of political awareness in tennis because it's very it's just almost completely absent. Players are challenged to comment about these things. Credit to journalists who are on site, and they, for the most part, fail miserably. Yeah, seriously. And the the tenor and the overarching feeling that you get from these interactions is one of, I don't really want to upset Tennis Australia too much. I'm going to say enough to keep people at bay from roasting me, but I'm also not going to say enough to really trouble Tennis Australia and move that needle. Mm. Novak was asked about court, and he responded, Margaret is a huge champion, a tennis hero in Australia, and also around the world. One of the most important tennis players in the history of the women's game. Of course, when she says something like that, it has a huge impact. I don't support what she said. I don't think it was the right thing to say. But she probably has her reasons, and we have to respect that she has a difference in opinion. That's all there is to it. (sighs) Novak is always, like, trying to do too much. Because he could have just stopped as, I don't agree with what she said. It could have been, like, a one-sentence response. This video of Andy Murray has been going around since this happened, where he was asked about Margaret Court two years ago, I believe, or three years ago, and he was very unequivocal. It's like, yeah, that sounds, that's just not it. You love who you love if you want to, if a man wants to marry a man, like, it's not the end of the world. That's it. But with a lot of these top players, especially the big three, you get the the piece that, like I said, they think you want to hear, and then also the piece that will appease the authorities, right? Right. Like they speak in this way that is to assuage everybody and it just doesn't do anything. It comes from a place of privilege. Folks will, will push back and say, well, they're tennis players. They're not here to make big political statements, but that's, that's ludicrous. Sport is by nature political. Mm. And in this position, it's not a, it, incredible hardship to be forced to answer questions like this in the case of federer is rolex gonna drop him is uniqlo gonna drop him they they're they surely are not federer is asked about and he says yeah i mean it's a tricky one i don't know what to tell you she's obviously an incredible tennis champion one of the most successful ever 
I know this subject also tears apart a lot of opinions and minds. So I think Tennis Australia, they got to do what they got to do. I honestly really have no opinion on that. What? Wow, thanks so much for that. <laughs> I don't even know if Rafa was asked about it. I haven't heard anything about him. It's just like, why not even, why even say anything? Because you've just said a whole lot of nothing. But, I, but I blame Tennis Australia for a lot of this because they've muddied the waters completely. And the takeaway is we cannot rely on these players, save for Andy Murray and some lower-ranked players, no disrespect to them, to have anything forthright or to the point about this. Yeah. It's just interesting that you're in a time when in American mainstream sports, sort of social justice movements are... I don't want to say fashionable, but it's a little bit more common to hear NBA superstars speak out against or about political subjects, especially in the NBA. In the NFL, we see that people's careers can be ended for those things. But really what it is is that we leave the heavy lifting to black people and more specifically well, black women yeah. to make these causes come to the forefront and to have any meaningful political action spoken about. We accept that this is par for the course from the likes of Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, that we shouldn't expect more when we should. But I guess like we're supposed to expect it from LeBron and Chris Paul and Colin Kaepernick and Serena Williams. Like those people are expected to, to carry the burden. And the reason why that happens is that their activism is born out of necessity, out of survival. Right. Whereas the pedestal that these straight, mostly white men sit on, it, it affects them so minutely. And so it's like, why comment if I don't have to? Why invite that kind of critique? And so I think we're just, we're just at a loss here. We just have to cut our losses. Like, there's, there's nothing to be gained from asking or expecting these top men players to opine on these things. Because, like... It's fruitless, which also, is sad. Also, there's no use at this point of expecting purity from the people who are making waves, like Martina Navratilova, who has a lot to answer for in the past few years mm -hmm. about her anti-trans rhetoric. That didn't even really cross my mind in this situation because there are basically no allies in the mainstream tennis world, and she's one of them on this topic. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Like, she... She has changed her legacy profoundly in the past few years for the worse. This is a good thing, but uh, what, like, what is the use at this point of arguing over whether or not she is the right vessel for this message when she's the only vessel? It really is depressing. It really <laughs> is. Ekaterina Makarova has announced her retirement from tennis. Farewell, Godspeed to her. This is somebody who punched above her weight many times made Grand Slam quarterfinals when folks would not have expected it, beat a bunch of top 10 players, was that player that you did not want to see in your half of the draw early on. Mm -hmm. And in sad news, Juan Martin Del Potro has had yet another surgery, this time again on his knee. He's had wrist surgeries, he's had knee surgeries, he's had so many surgeries it's hard to keep track and count of them. Just when you think that Del Potro could potentially be over the worst of it, something else happens. Like, uh, and this dude, is he the most unlucky tennis player in terms of injuries? 
you just feel for him. This is somebody with prodigious talent, one of the few people outside of the big four to win a slam in the last 12 years. We talk all the time about who is going to be that next guy. Delpo was that guy, and he promised to do it many more times, and his career was completely derailed by injury. And the last time he came back to tour full-time, he reimagined his game to still be competitive and be back in the top 10 again. And to have this happen one more time, it's, it's heartbreaking for him. The Tennis Hall of Fame just announced its inductees for the year. We're going to see Conchita Martinez and Goran Ivanisevic inducted in July. Both of them are coaches of Grand Slam finalists this year. Being at the Australian Open. They had this, this ceremony where, after it was announced, they fetted them, and both their charges made it to the final, Conchita losing with Muguruza in the final, and then Djokovic winning the title. So uh, it was a pretty big week for both of them. That brings us to the end of this episode. We are quite frankly thrilled that the Australian Open is over. I am deleting the app right now. I think I used it maybe three times. It was the most useless slam app that there ever was, in my opinion. We are also, on a personal note, off to Mexico on Wednesday. We are taking a little bit of a vacation. Uh, We're going to Puerto Vallarta, and we just want to state for the record that this is outside of the GoFundMe. This is a personal trip. Yes. Because, you know, personal funds only. This can be a bit muddied, and I honestly wouldn't be uh, surprised or mad at folks to be like sitting at home wondering if we're taking vacations on people's dime. <laughs> it, we're not. The GoFundMe money is strictly accounted for for tennis related stuff. We hopefully will have some good weather, a little bit of RR, and uh, a break. From tennis. Mm-hmm. The first month has been a lot. That said, thank you to everybody who has contributed to the GoFundMe. Like we said in previous shows, we have prizes. We will be dealing with that once we get back from Mexico. We will officially end the GoFundMe right as we are about to board the plane on Wednesday. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. The podcast is at the Body Serve on Twitter, on Instagram. If you've yet to leave an iTunes review, please do that. We appreciate those. And one of the things that we'll ask of you as listeners in 2020 is to share the podcast. If that means on Twitter or word of mouth, if you have a coworker who's into tennis, you meet somebody new who's into tennis, say, hey, you know, I listen to this little show and I enjoy it. You might like it too. That's one of the ways that we're going to count on you to grow the show in 2020. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.